Welcome to today's Hemp Parents Podcast, everyone. I'm host Joy Beckerman, and we have a great interview today with decades-long hemp fiber and textile industry, Larry Servant of Hemp Traders. And before we launch into that info-packed conversation, let's share some things on the hemp community's collective conscience this week. So it's definitely on our minds and in our hearts that there are untrained, militarized federal agents in Portland, Oregon right now kidnapping peaceful protesters. And I'm talking literally plucking them from their lawful, peaceful activities on the street and forcefully taking them against their will in unmarked vans to be detained, assaulted, verbally abused, and for criminal records to be created against them. We're in the United States of America. This is so far beyond uh, violating the U.S. Constitution. It's scary, it's unlawful, it's intolerable, and we should all be incredibly fired up and using our voices on this. And on Friday, July 16th, the Oregon Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against a bunch of federal agencies. The lawsuit actually names the Department of Homeland Security, uh, the U.S. Marshal Service, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and the Federal Protective Service, essentially all of the agencies that have uh, had, had a role um, in the stepped-up force that's being used against peaceful protesters since early July. But uh, they filed the lawsuit against all of those federal agencies, and they're potentially going to pursue criminal charges against a federal officer who shot a protester in the head with a supposedly non-lethal weapon. I want you to know that this protester was standing peacefully and silently in the street with a boombox over his head, sort of like or exactly like John Cusack in the movie Say Anything. Um, He was shot in the head. This video was captured. It's all over social media and YouTube, um, and it fractured that protester's skull, requiring surgery, and we actually don't know the, the we're not sure of the prognosis of the recovery, um, but it specifically names John Doe's 1 through 10 in this uh, lawsuit as well, because, quote, and this is a quote from the Oregon Department of Justice, the identity of the officers is unknown, nor is their affiliation unbelievable that the this is the situation that the Oregon Department of Justice is in. Moving on to how to use your voice, let's talk about John Lewis and good trouble. Congressman John Lewis, a true hero who has often been called, of course, the conscience of the U.S. Congress and one of the most courageous persons the civil rights movement ever produced, uh, dedicated his life to protecting human rights and securing civil liberties. Despite more than 40 arrests and physical attacks and serious injuries, including, by the way, having his skull fractured as he led 600 peaceful orderly protesters across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama in 1965, John Lewis remained a dedicated advocate of the philosophy of nonviolence protesting until the moment he transitioned to the other side just last week. So how can you use your voice and how can you use your power for change? And do you want to be encouraged? Do you need to be fired up? I do. We all do. An epic documentary, and this is John Lewis perhaps doing his greatest work posthumously, and he has already done so much for the United States of America with his own human life. In this documentary that was just released called John Lewis Good Trouble, it's a 101, and it is available for $6.99 for you to rent across a multitude of platforms from Prime Video to YouTube and everything in between. So for $6.99, please get this how-to blueprint on how to use your voice Use your power and create change in the United States. That's JohnLewisGoodTrouble.com, JohnLewisGoodTrouble.com. And now, Larry Servin, our interview.
interviewee, our great guest for this in, for this episode of Hemp Barons, has been leading the hemp fiber and textile industries, and, and in many ways, the hemp oil seed industry for going on 30 years. Uh, during that time, he served thousands of volunteer hours, organizing people, educating, advocating, and traveling great distances on his own dime to do it. My Lord, is he my brother. Understand here that human beings on the planet Earth who've been able to stick with their original hemp and entrepreneurial endeavor consistently for over a quarter of a century can be counted on one hand. And today, for a second time and a year later, Hemp Barons is bringing to you one of those rare humans, Larry Serban of Hemp Traders, a man of integrity, a shining example of a hemp industry leader, and I am so proud to call him my friend and brother. Let's listen to the master together and have a safe, healthy, inspiring week. And remember to use your voice and use your power every day. Well, hello, Larry Servan. Thank you so much for being with us again on Hemp Barons today. Well, thank you, Joy. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, I would have you on the show every six months, but there's so much going on. Um, and so glad to have you back in a year after we first interviewed you. Larry, as our listeners may know, you, of course, and hemp traders um, have been the largest purveyors of hemp textiles and hemp fiber in North America um, and potentially uh, other continents as well. Um, for the last 25 years and growing, you are a lightning rod. You are a prolific uh, industry leader as well as advocate and organizer uh, for the hemp movement and the hemp industries. And it's just so wonderful uh, to have you here. Let me ask you this, Larry. Let's talk about, let's start with textiles. And I understand that there's something pretty exciting uh, that's happening here uh, around hemp and textiles. And it. And before you tell the listeners about um, this announcement, which I just find absolutely exciting, could you share with us a little bit about kind of the, the dwindling history or, or why it is the state of United States textile production in general, whether it's cotton, whether it's another fiber or hemp, but the, the state of our, our textile manufacturing here in the United States in general, and then the announcement of what's happening thanks to the reemergence of this crop and people like you. All right, Joy. Uh, I think what you're hinting at is the kind of the status or what's happening with the entire textile industry in the United States. And basically, yes, sir. I would say over the last 30 to 40 years, the textile industry in the U.S. has been diminishing. Uh, basically, because uh, the textile industry is very price sensitive. And it is actually cheaper to make textiles in other countries, uh, such as China, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Vietnam, where you have uh, labor costs which are much uh, lower. And the main reason for this is that 70% of all textiles that are sold in the apparel industry fall into the price range of what's considered popular price, and that's actually the lowest price. So, for example, Walmart, Haymart, Old Navy, uh, those are the ones that are selling 70% of all the textiles out there, at least for apparel, because, let's face it, people don't want to pay too much for clothes. And uh, when you're selling, you know, or buying millions of 
uh, yards of a fabric, five cents per yard really adds up. And of course, it adds up in the final product, whether you're going to pay, say, five or ten dollars for a t-shirt or you're going to have to pay twenty or forty dollars for a t-shirt so what's basically happened is little by little the textile industry is out of left and then it's gone to another other countries my guess is that probably less than five percent of the textile industry is in america say if we compared it to maybe uh the year 1950 so you know, in the last 70 years is it that the reemergence of this crop may be changing that trajectory and that pattern as we've continued to give our manufacturing away to the competition in other countries for these decades? Well, one of the things uh, that we've talked about with hemp uh, all the way back to the early 90s and prior is that you can actually make textiles out of hemp. And that is true, uh, but since we were never able to grow hemp in the United States, uh, our company from the very beginning, we've always had to import our hemp textiles from other countries. We've imported it from uh, Romania, from Hungary, from Poland, and from China. And as of now, probably about 98%, maybe 99% of all the hemp, hemp textiles are coming from China basically because they are the ones that are growing hemp and they have a uh, textile industry there with all the infrastructure. So they're, they're the ones that are basically doing it right now. Uh, what's changed in America is that we can now grow hemp for fiber properties, although I might add that probably at least 95 to 98% of the hemp that has been grown in the U.S. so far during the last few years, has been grown for flour for CBD. Uh, seems like 2020 is really going to be one of the first years that we are going to see hemp uh, being used for textile, or I should say, hemp being grown for fiber. And uh, the big market uh, right away might not be textiles, but basically fiber for non-woven uses. Things like uh, insulation, composites, uh, plastics, um, paper, things of that nature are probably going to be bigger in the United States in the textiles, but we do have the opportunity possibly to grow the hemp here for fiber for textiles, send it to other countries that do have the infrastructure, and it's spun into yarn, uh, or basically be able to get it spun into yarn that can be used for textiles. And we're starting to see that infrastructure, as we know, uh, in Kentucky, um, Ecofiber just un unveiled quite the fiber processing plant. So it's wonderful that farmers are starting to have infrastructure in place for these other markets, because as we know, and we often say on the show, uh, all this time, of course, we've been asking farmers to grow a crop for which there's very little infrastructure other than extraction technology here, and we've, we've overproduced there. And we've been asking investors to invest in infrastructure for a crop that hasn't really been able to feed that infrastructure other than extraction. And so having said that, with one foot in front of the other working in tandem, here it is being built um, and it's it's quite wonderful now 
obviously, and as you you speak all over, you know, you've been a, just a prolific public speaker and often educate folks about supply chain issues. Um, and of course, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to take this heavy, long, strong crop and move it great distances for processing. Certainly, that's what's going on in, in many regions all over the world. Um, small places, uh, demographics such as Holland and Germany that actually have the fiber being grown at, and China, obviously, as well as the infrastructure in place. But other than that, we're moving the, the biomass or the raw materials from the biomass um, at great distances. And it's not going to be all that economically viable long term. But of course, folks and industry is, are doing what they're doing, um, what is necessary in order to build these markets. And, and that's you know, fantastic. Somebody has to be the first man or woman in and, and take those hits. Um, but what is happening right now? Is there an announcement that Hemp Traders has in terms of the availability? Because I know you and I, you in particularly, since you're in this in this industry, it can get exhausting to hear the the perfectionist and the idealist that I should say, I should say going, you know, wow, I, I really want to make my, my hemp teepee. And then they find out that the canvas from that hemp teepee came from China. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't want hemp from China. Well, then I guess you're not going to get hemp canvas because guess what? It's mostly coming from China. What's the difference now? What kind of development um, is happening here in this fantastic 2020 year of transformation? Right. Well, Joy, uh, I am pleased to announce that Hemp Traders has started making some hemp textiles here in the United States. Uh, I'm just beginning to get it down. We made uh, one fabric in particular, in fact, we're going to be picking it up today, beautiful ribbon fabric. And I have uh, three other jersey fabrics uh, in the works right now that will probably be ready in about a week or two. Uh, now, uh, these are actually being knitted in Los Angeles and finished in Los Angeles. Although, for full disclosure, at this time, we do have to import the yarns from China. But I like to see this as a first step to allowing the American and domestic production of hemp textiles. You know, I, it's, it's almost, a, it is, it's actually an emotional moment um, for me to hear that and, and for the listeners to really understand the impact um, of what you just said. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're not only talking about getting a return of textile manufacturing to the United States of America, we're talking about hemp textile manufacturing. You know, Larry, you are really something, brother. This is this is a tremendous first step. Um, and, and I really thought that this announcement, you were going to tell me it was some basic weave, just one. And you're basically telling me, and, and correct me if I've misheard you, four different blends, three of which are jerseys. Or did I miss something? No, you said it right. Uh, I was just trying it out uh, to see if we could do it. And the first fabric I made, I figured I might as well try something that I just can't get in China due to the type of machinery that they have. So we went with uh, what I would call a very thick rib knit fabric, uh, and it was able to get made. But then the most surprising thing was when we got it made, I realized it was not very expensive getting it made here. And I figured, well, wait a minute, that opens up the door to some other fabrics. God. They decided to do uh, the three most popular fabrics we sell are hemp jersey fabrics. So we have it in three different weights. 
So I dropped it off uh, some yarn at the knitters a few weeks ago, and it just heard back yesterday. And it looks like not only are we going to be able to make them here, but it's going to be cheaper than what we can get from China. I'm sorry, guys. But I, I've got oh, – every hair is standing on end. Yeah. I did not expect this story to get better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that is absolutely phenomenal to hear, Larry. We're, now we're talking about economic permaculture in general. Um, that's fantastic. And while we're on that subject, could you give the listeners some examples of the different types of products that folks would make with those different types of jerseys? All right, well, we're basically talking apparel-type fabrics. So your most basic item uh, that Jersey is used for would be a T-shirt. Uh, all all T-shirts are made out of Jersey fabric, sometimes a, a rib-knit fabric. But, uh, you know, so, for example, long-sleeve T-shirt, short-sleeve T-shirt, T-shirt with a pocket. You can uh, even, on heavier ones, you can do some pants probably with it or, or very, very lightweight sweatpants or a very lightweight sort of uh, hoodie he made out of it. Uh, it's very versatile and used for uh, many, many different items. And then the lighter weight jersey, and it's true, jersey was not the greatest example of the tremendous diversity of textiles that you have available for basically every application from heavy industrial sort of upholstery right on down to the finest silk hemp right. blends for a beautiful wedding ceremony. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of the thinner jersey, uh, just so we could sort of um, showcase the American-made textiles that you are manufacturing historically here, um, post-prohibition historically, I should say. Mm -hmm. And the lighter weight jerseys, what are some things that people would use for the lighter weight? It seems to me maybe an obvious thing might be something more feminine because it might hang differently. A little bit. I mean, we're still looking at, if you think jerseys, still think of a t-shirt and, you know, you can think of a very thin, lightweight t-shirt, regular t-shirt or a beefy tee. So what we're doing is we're creating the uh, the fabric to fit all three of those niches right there. So, uh, you know, something for summer, something for maybe fall, spring, and then possibly a heavier one for the winter time. Wow. And then I realized, too, how can we sit here and talk about textiles, knowing that we've got new listeners every single week here for Hemp Barons without discussing why choose hemp fabric and hemp blended fabric um, over another type of textile. And Larry, there is nobody in the world better uh, able to describe the main bullet points of why choose hemp to wear over another fabric than you. So let us have it. All right. Thank you for bringing that up, Joy. Uh, yes, I'm well-versed in this meal. And basically, uh, hemp is a fiber, is the strongest of all the natural fibers that are out there. So when you uh, weave it into a textile, whether alone or in a blend, you end up with a much stronger item, something that's going to be more durable and last a lot longer time. Not only that, but... If you were to look at the fiber under a microscope, you would see that the fiber is actually hollow, and that allows for the free flow of air. Therefore, when you wear a hemp garment, it's much more breathable than other garments you might wear. Cotton is certainly much better than uh, synthetic garments. 
Uh, along with that, uh, it allows uh, more absorption uh, from uh, water, it can absorb more water. Therefore, if you were to perspire in the garment, it's going to absorb that. And it allows for more surface area for dye to bind to. So if you are to dye this particular fabric, you're going to get a lot richer, brighter colors and hemp that are going to hold on a lot longer than other different textiles. Also, because it has a free flow of air, it inhibits the growth of anaerobic bacteria, and that causes the fabric to have antibacterial properties. Uh, when people perspire, the aroma or the odor of perspiration is not actually the, the water or the, the perspiration, but it's actually anaerobic bacteria that begin to grow in it. And if you inhibit the growth of anaerobic bacteria, you lower the smell of the item when you're wearing it. So when you wear hemp clothes, they're going to have less of an odor uh, when uh, if you were to uh, perspire in them. Hemp, uh, one other uh, thing about hemp is that uh, it has uh, one of the lowest, uh, the term is percent elongation. That means if you were to put a lot of pressure on it and try to pull the fiber apart, it's not going to stretch at all before it will break. It's strong, so it takes a lot of effort to break it, but there's going to be no stretch. And this makes it great for items like upholstery when you want to pull the fabric tight, but if it gets jumped on or sat on for a long time, it's not going to unravel or stretch out and become loose over, over a period of time. It's and and even then you could keep going. I mean, it literally just keeps on going. In fact, we hear this phrase a lot in when we talk about hemp textiles, Larry, and that is hemp doesn't wear out; it wears in. Could you explain yes. to to the listeners what that means? All right. Well, what that means is, if you were to take a hundred percent hemp and uh, compare it to other natural fibers, it's most closely related to linen. And what happens is. When you begin to wear it, it gets more of a worn-in feel to it. I like to compare it to a piece of paper. If you were to take a piece of paper and fold it in half and then look at it, you're going to have a crease in it. If you fold it in half again, you're going to have another crease. If you fold it again, you're going to have another crease. But if you were to take that piece of paper and crinkle it up, the whole thing in your hands, and kind of mash it around, and then unravel it, you'll notice the paper now feels kind of limp and soft. And the hemp fibers, fabrics, and yarns behave the same way. Therefore, as you wear it, as you wash it, as you live in it, it tends to get a lot more softer and more comfortable to wear. It's just amazing, and it keeps you warm in the winter, keeps you cool in the summer. Yes. Well, Hemp, tra Hemp Traders does so very much, and, and of course, I, I wanted to make sure that we spent plenty of time on the textile aspect of the Hemp Traders enterprise, um, particularly in that this post-prohibition historic effort um, is not only occurring, it's successful and it's economical. So that's just fantastic. Um, of course, you sell all of the raw fibers and over these years as we've educated and as you well know, just as um, intimately as the rest of us advocates that have knocked on every single door in every state legislature for years and, and educating with these things, um, it was we could only get these raw fibers from you. 
you sell all of the different types of uh, of bast, the outer bark, of course, uh, of the of the stock as well as the herd, the inner woody core. You sell degummed fiber, of course, that is uh, delineated fiber. All of those things, and another incredible innovation that you have undertaken here to open up these markets. Um, again, the fiber markets being the trillion dollar markets, along with the oil seed, far outside of extraction and cannabinoids, which we love and are so grateful for, um, is hemp board. And that is through your division, Canagrove. Could you explain to us, we, we of course, for all of these years prior to Canagrove being born into the United States of America, um, thanks to your hard work, Larry, we have had to import hemp board mostly from China over the years. And uh, again, there's a carbon footprint and price involved in shipping essentially hemp plywood. I don't like to say that, but it helps people get sort of an idea of what it looks like, even though it's much, it behaves differently than plywood um, but then what happened was the uh, the supply chain even within China became disrupted in the fairly recent past and and the shipments became inconsistent and and not made the same way and made poorly and so that really put us in a bind because now we didn't even have a, a choice the poor choice of getting the hemp board shipped across the ocean in containers to us from China how did uh, Canagrove come to be and, and if you could just maybe talk to us about the various sizes uh, that you offer, particularly after a full run's been done. All right. Well, uh, I'll, get, oh, I'll speak a little bit more about the history that you mentioned. Uh, all the hemp board that has been sold commercially over the past 15 years was actually produced by us. It was you know me and my company making it. And you are right. Uh, since we weren't growing hemp in the United States, my first uh, supply of hemp board uh, had to come from China. And I went to different factories, and we had the board made, and we were able to bring it over. Uh, the problem that I ran into uh, initially was they were using uh, formaldehyde binders, or urea formaldehyde binders. And we found out right away that nobody wanted the formaldehyde in their board. You know, we were trying to sell an environmental product. So... It took me another couple of years, uh, well, it took me about another year, and I found a low formaldehyde binder uh, for the board, and we brought that in, but we found out that even the low formaldehyde binder, people didn't want that, and want any formaldehyde at all. So then I had to find, uh, spend another year or two finding the right kind of binder. We bought it from South Africa, brought it to China, and made another batch of boards, got them put together and began to sell them. We were the first to have a non-formaldehyde binder that we were working with. And uh, the business uh, began to take off. And then I ran into the problem that uh, the factory that I was working with uh, went out of business. And it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the fact that I was working with some smaller factories in China that were, were willing to work with me to make the board. And they, there was a, a time in China when there, where there was a lot of consolidation going on, and the smaller factories weren't able to compete with the larger ones. So a bunch of the littler ones went out of business. So and, and another factory to make the board, that one went out of business. And, you know, I was doing well. I was selling all the boards we had, and I was even approached by Home Depot 
who wanted to uh, add the hemp board to their stores. Uh, but I actually had to tell them no because I just couldn't get a hold of uh, on the supply of it. I just couldn't uh, bring it in uh, the way they would want it. So finally, after about four or five uh, factories went out of business, I just decided to put the whole idea on hold until sometime in the future where we might be able to do it here. Now, fortunately, uh, we legalized attempt at the end of 2018. And I was able to start manufacturing the hemp boards here in the U.S. And we were able to get them made, bring them in. The quality is great. Uh, properties of them are, are perfect. Uh, the biggest stumbling block right now happens to be more with the logistics because the factory that I use is not near any location where they're growing the hemp. And more than half of the cost of making the boards was just shipping the raw materials from where it was grown to the factory in order to make it. And now we're at the point where we're uh, looking for numerous suppliers of hemp stocks and hemp fiber uh, to be able to make the boards uh, much more cost competitive. And that's kind of where we're at right now. What a journey and the just the absolute love of hemp that one must have uh, to go through all of this over. It's I think I've been saying, by the way, a quarter of a century for a, a couple of years now. So I think we're, we're past a quarter of a century. Just amazing. Again, the 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 purpose driven life uh, that you live, Larry, to, to really deliver, not just on the promise of hemp. We're talking about the true chopping of the wood and carrying of the water to to bring these incredibly valuable industries, these job-creating, planetary healing, product-improving industries back to the United States. It's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, and on that note, uh, people come, because you are a lightning rod and because you have you are the supplier of so many of the raw materials and, and finished goods um, and, and finished textiles, etc., that folks need in order to be able to execute their ideas um, with hemp. I know that you, you of course, are aware of so many emerging things, and, and certainly you can't share most of it with us, but is there anything exciting um, on the horizon here that you're able to share or something that you find particularly oh, yeah. in interesting that you might be able to share? Yeah, I was just recently able to finally procure uh, powdered hemp herd. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with hemp herds and use it to make hempcrete, and we also use it for our boards. But I finally found a way to get it powderized, and that is going to be uh, the beginning point for people who want to blend uh, the hemp herds with plastic. So we're going to be able to see... Uh, the advent of more hemp plastic uh, components, whether it's uh, the little hemp pellet or plastic pellets that people will then be able to use it to make other products from hemp, including uh, plastic 3D printers. Wow, fantastic! And and I guess the other thing, in its rawest form, my understanding, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is that powdered herd is also great because we know how absorbent it is to be used as a as a commercial or industrial absorbent, including uh, around oil rigs, which hopefully we will replace as a source of fuel with hemp itself. But have you heard of it as an absorbent? 
Yes. Uh, the most obvious one would be just not necessarily powdered hemp herd, but maybe finer particles of hemp herd being used for animal bedding. So, uh, for example, a horse doll or a small mammal bedding, because uh, when they defecate, you know, pee or poop, uh, the hemp herds are able to absorb it all, and then it makes it very easy to kind of pick it up and throw it away. Indeed, and I even understand that then that hemp herd, it soiled as it is with the with the defecation of the animals, in and of itself makes a great compost or, or other... Um, a great permaculture addition and soil amendment in any event. Right, yeah, because what you're basically dealing with is just cellulose. It's going to be somewhat similar to wood chips, but it's a little bit softer, so it's probably uh, more biodegradable than regular wood. Wow, okay. just uh, And and that, of course, is a, just a great first um, market. Hemp herd alone, grow the fiber, decorticate it. And I understand we have enough challenges alone just with decortication. And for the listeners who maybe haven't heard that, that term, we sort of in the fiber world live and breathe the term decortication. That's the term for separating that outer bark, which we call the bast fiber of the stalk from that inner woody core. And then you're left with the separated bast and herd, and then that herd needs to be processed a little bit further if for hempcrete, uh, as you know, Larry, from looking at so many different types of processed herd, it does need to be uh, further processed to a specific technical specification. Now, it's not rocket science. It needs to be a particular geometric particle range, of course, a particular moisture content, not difficult, and make sure there isn't a ton of bast or, or chaff in there. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's just a great market to be able to decorticate, process. The animal bedding does not need really any of those specifications, although different animals of different sizes may, of course, have preference um, or sensitivity in their paws, et cetera, versus a horse um, for the size. But it is just a, a fantastic first market, and all of that can be purchased at Hemp Traders, along with, of course, the grain, which we'll save for the next time we have you on, uh, Larry. And on all, all of the various textiles, every type of diameter of hemp rope you could imagine, um, from the thickest to the thinnest twine uh, and webbing. And before we go, Larry, is there anything on the horizon? Um, I, and this hemp, this powdered hemp, of course, it may have already taken up that category, but anything else on the horizon for hemp traders that you want to share or anything in particular that you want to make sure that the listeners hear about the emerging hemp industries in general before we part? Well, I'd like to say that uh, probably uh, the biggest market for hemp will be in the fiber. Uh, the flower was always kind of a low-hanging fruit. You know, it was something that just about anyone could get into and could grow it and would be able to sell it. Uh, seed would be number two, but then, you know, the more difficult thing is the fiber because, uh, one, in order to make it viable, you have to grow quite a lot of acres of it, you know, have large amounts and a large volume. And along with that, you need the infrastructure to, as you mentioned, decorticate, uh, separate the fibers. And then you also need the infrastructure that will be able to uh, cut the fibers or reduce the fibers to specific fiber lengths. And the most exciting thing is that is exactly where we're heading. Uh, little by little, more farmers are starting to grow for fiber. 
Uh, they're starting to learn how to ha- uh, cultivate it, how to harvest it, how to break it up. I'm working with some people that are working in some very innovative ways of doing decortication and reduction on the fibers to get the hemp fibers almost uniform, very close to what you might have with synthetic fibers. And when we hit that level uh, and it's all up and running, it's going to allow hemp in the fibers to enter uh, a number of markets, many, many different markets. And if we grow it on a large enough scale, these are going to be very cost competitive with petroleum uh, fibers and other synthetic fibers. Phenomenal. And and I realize now that we haven't gone down the list, the list that I love so much. So I'm just going to say it when we're talking about hemp fiber among many, many products, we are talking about paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, nanotechnology, even energy and fuel when we are talking about that stock. It is a game changer of game changers. Larry Serban, my brother, it is always so wonderful to be able to speak with you. You will be on this show again. And folks, please, you want to know how to get in touch with, with Larry at Hemp Traders, go to mjbulls.com and, and check it out or Google this man and get what you need from Hemp Traders. Larry, thank you for everything you do for hemp every single day. Thank you so much for also for all you do, Joy, and all, all the long time and a lot of work you've done for hemp as well. You know I love it. You know I love it. Thanks again, Larry. Stay healthy. All right. Thank you, Joy. You too. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.